Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I'm currently at the Superstars Writing Conference in Colorado Springs and having the time of my life being able to speak to so many creative people. Today's guests are Marie Whitaker, Mark Stallings, Todd Vonestock, and Quincy J. Allen. Marie Whitaker enjoys teaching about publishing and project management for writers. She works as associate publisher at Wordfire Press, the major sponsor of this Superstars conference, and director at Superstars Writing Seminars. She is the creator of The Adventures of Lola Hopscotch. In 2021, she co-founded the epic fantasy world of Eldro's Legacy, the subject of this podcast. Mark Stallings is an Amazon best-selling author living in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This is his hometown. He is a writer of Chinese martial arts fiction called Wuxia and fantasy, thrillers, and military sci-fi. Mark released the first book in the Silver Coin Saga, The Elements, Eldro's Legacy, and the Four Horsemen Universes. Todd Fonestock is a writer of fantasy for all ages and winner of the New York Public Library's Books for the Teenage Award. His best-selling The Wishing World series began as bedtime stories for his children, and his other work, his epic fantasy series, include Threadweavers, the Heartstone Trilogy, and the Whisper Prince Trilogy. Quincy J. Allen is a national best-selling cross-genre author with a wide assortment of publications under his belt. His media tie-in novel, Colt the Outlander, Shadow of Ruin, was a Scribe Award finalist in 2019, and his noir sci-fi novel, Chemical Burn, was a Colorado Gold Award finalist in 2010. Welcome, Marie, Mark, Todd, and Quincy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you Thank so you. much. It's really great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one here because I've had like 210 episodes now, and I try to do every aspect of publishing and art that I could do as far as the illustration aspect of, of publishing. This is the first time I've been able to address this topic. So every time I get something new, it's like, yes! Cool. <laughs> I have so many questions, and the only concern I've got is I've got way more questions than we've got time in an hour with, with four amazing people here. So what we've got before we get into this thing, I just want to know how you came to know each other. And so a little bit about each one of yourselves and how it all amalgamated into what we have in front of me. So Marie. Sure. Um, so it started with Quincy and Rob Howell getting the idea, the concept for Eldros Legacy. And um, then, you know, they were talking about another creative to bring in, you know, who who had a lot to offer. And they they reached out to Mark Stallings. And so then there were three. And um, they were going to invite somebody else who um, turned out to not have the availability. Because this takes a lot um, from your schedule. And he had just had a baby. And so— um, I'm assuming he, his wife did? Yeah. Well, his oh, yes. wife, yeah. So, it was a team effort. He was there. Yeah, he was, he was there, cheering. too. You know, had a little bit to do with it. But um, so, yeah, I was just working at my desk, and I get a chat bubble popping up, and it's Mark Stallings, and he says, hey. <laughs> Which is kind of— What are you doing? Up. I know. <laughs> what's up? And I was like, hey, what's up with you? And um, he goes, I need to talk to you about something important. And so we had this phone call. And— um, 
he explained everything, you know, that it was shared world, um, multi-author event, epic fantasy, which is, you know, I, I love writing epic fantasy. And, um, so after talking with, with Mark and hearing the, the gist of the situation, then I told him, yeah, yeah, I'm in. And so we knew we wanted, you know, one more person. We, because at that point it was five, Eldritch Legacy, there, there would have been five of us. And so we, we wanted an odd number. And so everybody was like, well, we need one more person, one more person. Who is it? And I just sort of noodled on it for a while. And I thought, geez, this person has to be crazy creative and prolific as heck. And, you know, we need to be able to just dive right into the creative process with this person. And it just, it came to me right then. And I'm like, that's uh, that's Todd Fonestock. And so Mark talked with Todd and gave him the the same information that he gave to me. And then there were five of us. I get it. So what's your version of the story, Quincy? Well, that's all accurate. I'm going to back up in two places. One is that this was, the intention was to do with fantasy what another property had done with military sci-fi. So there was a model we were building this off of. And we knew that if done right, there was a good chance we could make a go of it. And it was really a sound, we like to think it was a sound idea. Um, And there was a lot of collaboration that came on. But ultimately, a lot of this goes back to uh, years ago at Superstars, because mm-hmm. that's how Marie and I met. Uh-huh. I used to work for Kevin Anderson and, and did a bunch of stuff for him, the traveling book booth, and that's how I met her. And then we, when we had the conversation of we need another person, you immediately came to mind. And that's also because Marie knows everybody. So we figured that would also help in getting a leg up yeah. in this industry. I mean, we've, we've tried to be very conscious of sort of how to further this as a business enterprise. And so that's that's kind of how. And then I I got I knew Mark from he'd actually helped me get into that other property years ago, and then I'd never met this guy before in my life. And the side story there is it turns out I kind of kind of got a brother from another mother. So it's it's been a neat ride so far in two years I guess two years two years and a month. It's like over two years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, Todd. So yeah, as the uh, Johnny come lately to the the whole project, I was actually in the middle of trying a collaboration with three other people, all of whom wrote in different genres than me. And we had just gotten together for this little conference meeting that ended up with a horrible result. It was like we ended up with something that took a little bit from what each what each person did and and satisfied nobody. So I was really disappointed and and sad about the whole, like I wanted to collaborate with somebody and, and it just did not work out. And literally that day, as I was in despair over this, this foiled project that had begun, Mark calls me up. He's like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> lamenting my most recent failure. He's like, oh, well, I got an idea for you. I was like, well, what? He's like, you interested in a collaboration? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's so weird, dude. And anyways, that's kind of how it started from my side. And uh, getting together with these folks in the beginning, like Quincy said, I mean, Quincy and I hit it off like from the very get-go. Um, and, uh, and of course, I've known Marie for a long, long time and we just love each other to pieces. And Mark is the easiest guy in the world to get along with. He's, he, he, yeah. he, he knows everybody that Marie doesn't know, and as well as everybody that Marie does know, probably. <laughs> but anyways, um, and so once we started going on, on the creative aspects, man, I got so inspired. I got to work immediately, and that's how I got involved in it. Great, and yourself, Mark. So uh, I'm a I'm a business guy who came to the the, the industry of writing, and when uh, Quincy and Rob were trying to to formulate how to approach this, 
you know, they approached me uh, from a, a business perspective. You know, I deal with contracts and organizations and things like that as a serial on, entrepreneur. And so I also write fantasy, like you, you had pointed out with Wuxia. My, my debut novel was, was a 120,000-word epic fantasy. And, uh, you know, they, they said, hey, we want to do this shared world thing, and I'm, I'm in. I mean, I remember the old Thieves world and, and when uh, TSR launched Forgotten Realms of bringing in to separate authors to try to advance a story. And so uh, we, we knew we needed um, a female influence. And the first person I thought of was Marie. And we, we did approach another gentleman who had a heavy gaming background. He worked in the gaming industry. But like, like Marie said, he had, a, he had commitments to family, and we totally respect that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Family first is most important. And uh, so then we were, we were trying to noodle it, and Marie and I both came to the same conclusion about the same time is that we wanted somebody energetic, somebody super creative, somebody who could, you know, be the light and inspiration of, as we do this collaboration, uh, an expert craftsman in the world of fantasy. And uh, we, we picked Todd. And uh, thankfully, you know, after hours of begging on the phone of, uh, to get him to come. Groveling. Groveling and, you know, bribes. It took about 10 minutes. I, I don't even think it was that long. Uh, um, but, yeah, we got Todd on board. And then it's literally letting the, the brakes loose at the top of the mountain. Mm. Yeah. And then yeah. it has been a two-year ride. And uh, it's been, you know, just a, a, a massive amount of work, but also a lot of fun. An amazing experience. Yeah. So I've got some questions I'm going to get just about the, the your working relationship and partnering because your story is one I've heard multiple times before, trying to make something go and it just crash and burn, just a disaster. So how do you decide you could trust each other and what's your what are your rules of engagement? I've interviewed like Kevin and Brian mm-hmm. and Larry and Jerry, and they've got their rules. You know, you've got a hierarchy of like who can make the final decisions on this aspect of storytelling, like with Kevin and, and Brian, you know, like anything religious, that's Brian, anything sci-fi, it's Kevin. You know, they just work it out. This is who has the, the final say-so. How do you work it out with yourselves? Go ahead. Well, um, the final say-so is the four of us, actually. Um, if it comes down to it, we do have a vote, but... Was it... Is it we, Rock, paper, scissors, or kind what? Kind of. It's very it's, democratic. It's, yeah, it's, well, I mean, not really, but sort of. <laughs> so, like, um, we, like, um, we, the thing about us, we, we founders, we, we meet at least once a week for an hour or two hours, and we have been doing that for over two years. And many, many weeks, um, we meet more than that. And we always have each other like in speed chats and and things like that. So there really hasn't been a single day, I think, in the last two years that I haven't spoken with at least one of these gentlemen about one aspect or more of Eldris' legacy. So because it seems like the, I've only read your book, uh-huh. so I'm familiar with the the, sure. the concept of uh-huh. through Embers and Ash. So right. that's what I've read, mm-hmm. and. If you kill somebody mm-hmm. that's the principal character in in Forgotten King, uh-huh. you know, she made Dead King, you made Forgotten King, you know, how does that kind of stuff 
get resolved. As far as a collaboration like that, we have that worked out before I kill a king. <laughs> so, Mark, yeah. So, so we we have rules, right? And and we do have rules because each one of us has our own separate storyline, right? And we have touch points where we're interweaving our our plots together, and so um, main characters off limits. You 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 cannot kill each other's main characters unless. You actually get together with the group, and you'll be like, all right, Todd, you got that guy. I really want to kill him. <laughs> and then, then I have to, you know, pour a lot of whiskey into Todd, and then we, he might let me do it. But seriously, um, you know, it, when we try to uh, negotiate whether magic might work or what the limitations might be, we get together and <laughs> talk it through. Yeah. And then any decisions that we make, and we do, we vote. Yeah. I mean, it is simple majority. And while right now there are four of us, the, the rule is, if it's a split vote, you did not uh, sell your, your point of view well enough. So it's got to be a majority. Now, is it, or does it have to be unanimous? No. no. Majority. 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 We've had majority. a few splits. Um, yeah. And if not I can, many, but. If I can interject on the whole, like, you know, crossing over into somebody else's land, interestingly enough, that has been more a point of inspiration than a point of contention with us. In fact, in at a certain point, well, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but at a certain point, one of Quincy's uh, higher level characters is going to die. And we talked about this and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be a great uh, part of this particular thing. So not only is it, something that we're going to do, but like he was excited about it because we came up with a story. And what I wanted to say was with us, story is king. It's not, we're not playing with like, oh, I want my guy to be the most tough, the most powerful. It's like, what's the best story that the readers are going to respond to? And that becomes our guiding star. Yeah. Mm. I get it. So now on, so that's your policy and working together. And that, that's good to know, because I know that this being the Rise of the Future podcast other people are going to be inspired by what you're talking about and you know any pitfalls that you can alert them to ahead of time will save them any grief you know so it seems like even before you started this you already had some working knowledge of each other and an appreciation of each other and maybe you can just call it kindred spirit mm -hmm. you know going into it that made it set up so you could actually at that point embark on a quest so now on on your world that you've created here. So I've already asked you like about each one, but so what was the inspiration to this? Because I like I said, I've not interviewed somebody creating something like this, and I haven't really gone into you know the games. You know, I haven't done that. So I've kept it in the book series. So I've not really addressed and compared it to. Um, I think you put a thing, and you're saying it's the for lovers of Dungeons and Dragons RPGs, I've not done anything with RPG. I've not done anything on the podcast on RPG. So I don't really, that's not my relating. So yeah, Quincy. If I could. So um, in this case, I'll, this is all derived, and we'll give credit where it's due. Um, the, one of the initial, he's not here, uh, Rob Howell, um, who actually is the, he's a, I guess, associate publisher or publisher at New Mythology Press under Chris Kennedy. All, this world and a lot of the magic system, for the most part, started with work he'd already done. And what happened was he, he came to the table, he brought us together, and we there was a, a decision gate. Do we want to start with something or start fresh? He had these novels, and he was pushing for that. But it actually, in some respects, it made sense. And we all have legacy novels, and so the idea of, and I think some of that did take place, the idea of helping somebody kind of get that up off the ground worked together to build on that, and it was a shortcut for us. The magic system had pretty much been built. 
um, we said, okay, let's start with that as the general world. And then we will, and we agreed everything that the work that had been done. And I'd had a few short stories, Rob had his novels, everything gets put into the, this collective kitty, a partnership. And then the five of us at that time, we will own this and we will build and expand. And then there was a lot of discussion on how to expand the world and go beyond well beyond what where Rob had started. Mm -hmm. He had one continent on this world. And it made sense to then each, we would each get a continent. And then I would also say that at that time, we kind of had the idea of doing something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe in that you've got the Iron Man story, the Captain America story, the et cetera, and all of those come together into one major theme. And we thought this is a great way to build a property. Um, but it did come from that, that, that original source. Um, and that was just a matter of building from there. So the idea of having... This, this came from R, RPG, or where did it come from? That even the, the, I'm still not up to your square one on this yet. On, on sure the whole idea of doing this type of you're all writing books in in this universe that contributes to each other, but they're each unique. You're going to say something. Yeah, bad? if I can if I can chime in on the whole like Dungeons and Dragons slash RPG thing. Essentially, that was more of a flavor that we wanted to give to. So you don't have to have you know, been a Dungeons and Dragons player in order to access this. These are epic fantasy novels like Lord of the Rings, right? But the flavor we wanted to give it was there's going to be a party like you would have in a Dungeons and Dragons setting. You got like two, three, four, five people, six people, something like that, that come together and move forward in a story. You're going to have elements that uh, people who play Dungeons and Dragons really enjoy. Dungeon crawls, lots of monsters, monsters. some sword and sorcery action going on. So these were the things that were like, okay, we're going to do this. And if I remember correctly, we were like, let's make it PG-13 also. That was yes. another sort of yes. you know, Absolutely. Uh, guiding Which star. is cool. I like that. Yeah. So it was just, these were frameworks that we were working in. So don't feel like when we say it's a dungeon and Dragons flavored story, that means that if you like Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to love this stuff. But it doesn't mean that if you don't like Dungeons and Dragons or aren't into Dungeons and Dragons, you can't also love it and access it. I mean, there are, there are stories that are made to be stories. Got it. You had mentioned at the beginning here, Quincy, about there was a military. You were, it was an inspiration. Yeah. Um, so there's a military sci-fi. The property is called the Four Horsemen Universe um, with Kirst Kennedy Press. And we've all written for Chris in, in one form or another. Um, he had this universe, really, they have 80 novels now, I think, or upwards of 80. They have, uh, in both novels and short fiction, a few dozen writers. And they've been very successful. They have this growing audience, and there's this philosophy that's been sort of handed down, rising tide floats all boats. Mm -hmm. And we have absolutely tried to maintain that philosophy. Um, it's not Ultimately, it's not just the four of us. We have cohorts who are writing in each of our continents, um, so you do that. That was one of my next yeah. questions yeah. of like, okay, is it just the four horsemen here, or is it going to be? No, no. There are there are, and actually, we have. There's nine novels, and we have six a, of them have yeah, been we written. We have by about us. twenty authors that are collaborating. Mm -hmm. Are the four of us inclusive? And like that four horsemen universe property, the intention is to have the main storyline, right, your epic thing, as well as side storylines that the side authors will be writing, and some of those will brush up against and even sort of combine into the main storyline. Um, so it really is this interwoven effort, um, like they did in the Four Horsemen. Like that's, that was sort of our model, and we're running with it. So do you have, normally when you write a novel, you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So is this where you've got a beginning and a middle, but the, <clears throat> the end has not been conceived, or has it been conceived to happen at some 
indefinite, like where is it going or how do, how do you define that so that it keeps alive and fresh and doesn't get stale and doesn't go past whatever was the postulated end. So go ahead. Mark. So for, for like what Quincy was saying, each, each one of the major storylines, we have our own continent and we have a, a major thread. And so then, like he was saying with the cohorts, we have minor threads that are then interweaving into each of the disseparate major threads. And then we've broken this into phases. And so we have the first phase that we're working in right now. And then we are going to write a converged novel where an event will happen. One of the characters that Todd created is going to pull the main characters from each of our series together to accomplish a task. They will go on an adventure, they will accomplish a task, and then they will be returned back to their respective locations. And it will stretch out their view, because that, that was why we did this to separate continents. The average person doesn't know. They think that their continent's the only one that's there. Yeah, rather than on, on yours. Yeah. Legacy. Right. But what's happening is by bringing our main characters together, it broadens their world. They finally realize, hey, there's more out there than just my little continent, in my case, Draconon, because he's going to meet the main character from Noxanon and from Pelanon, or, well, um, Damonon. the kingdom is Kingdom Dan is Pelanon, the continent well, is Damonon. Yeah, from Damonon and then from Pyranon. And so we'll, we'll understand just separate cultures and but we're all moving towards a similar goal and we're fighting against the giants giants right they're the they're the opposite so you're going to say something quincy well only in that to give you a, a good analogy that most people in, in mass media will understand it's nick fury being, bringing the avengers together yeah. that's what we're working towards in this phase one um and it's really kind of exciting and and you know todd had talked about some of there's some of the the end game we've talked about a little bit. It's out of focus, but some events are defined. Um, but we've already got touch points between his and mine. And if you look at the order of the books on Amazon, um, you'll see that my series will pick up after his. And we didn't plan it a year ago, but as it turns out, the end of his Wren ties directly into the beginning of Seeds of Dominion. Yep. And that, that sort of thing, the synergy we have is it's happening naturally, which is really kind of kind of cool. Well, that's good. So make sure I got this right now. So you've got, you got your arc uh -huh. and then that arc comes to its fruition. Maybe when all these main players of each side get together and then they go back with a new beginning. Yeah. And so now you have a new arc then. New arc. Yeah. And, but at some point, Somebody's going to fight those giants in the battle of all battles. That's yes. going to be the throwing the ring into Mount Doom. Yes. Okay, good. And that point that marks, you're not going to have a Cimmerillion ring after that. It's once, no. once well, the, unless there's enough plan. <laughs> I know. There's no plan right now. It will be definitely more coherent than Cimmerillion. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> True that. Okay, good. All right. So, you, so my other question was inviting others into the universe. So how does somebody join your universe? Or is it by invitation only or what? It's invitation only, for sure. Um, and, you know, we had a discussion about this earlier, too. We were we were on a different panel, and, and someone in the audience actually asked us, you know, about bringing in new creatives to work with. And um, we, had, we had some different answers, but... Um, when we invite somebody, you know, it, it's it's somebody where we understand their work ethic and maybe they've got a couple publications under their belt so that they, you know, have a, a base knowledge of the, you know, the publishing world. And um, 
we, you know, you you go to somebody that you know so that you, there's some trust there mm-hmm. and things like that. So, um, and also someone who's going to be fun to write with. I mean, sure. this is a huge collaboration, you know, and we we want people who are a lot more fun, you know, who are going to be fun to work with because we we also meet um, every other every other week with all of our cohorts. So we have mm-hmm. this big old Zoom meeting and there's all of our cohorts and we're talking about story and just building this the the world, you know, and what everybody wants to do in their particular realms. So that's why it's invitation only. Gosh, Good. maybe I need to get on the same page. I was like standing on the corner with a sign that said, you know, we'll bring on cohort for food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I said my introduction to the Eldros uh, world was through Embers and Ash. So there's a total of 10 books now? Nine. 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 Okay. And you've got several more in the hopper? We've got four. We've got three in editing. One will be published um, the second Tuesday of April. That's called Dark and Secret Paths by um, C.A. Farrell. And that is told on my continent, um, Pyrodon. And then um, we do have three more in editing. So those those are planned, you know, 2023 books for sure. And we all have several cohorts who are mid-story. Okay, so now this leads to the next thing because we've got four different cont- countries or four different technically continents. Five. Yes. Technically five. Okay, good. So the, the mystery continent, we won't, we won't discuss we that one, right? We have a mystery continent, okay, yeah. Good. All right. Um, so does that make you each respective the senior editor for anybody writing in your continent? Correct. That's correct. Absolutely. Okay, good. So then... So basically, it's like mentor here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Okay, good. From Aresia. Okay, yeah. good. All right. So now, how many of you are familiar with Writers of the Future? Yeah, I'm definitely. All of us. Okay, good answer. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, I'm into what we can do to provide inspiration and tips for, you know, writers on how to make it in the industry. So, um what have you seen or how do you see writers of the future? What have you experienced yourself as, as a value of to science fiction and fantasy with writers of the future? Yes, Mark. So um, I think it dovetails correct directly into how we brought our cohorts in. And so and that ties in with writers of the future. So we have a world Bible, basically sets out the rules of Eldros. And then we asked each of the prospective cohorts to author a short story. Suspiciously, right around you know the <laughs> sweet spot for writers of the future, roughly eight thousand words. <laughs> In the intent of um, it, it demonstrates that they have the work ethic to get the the, the story done. Mm-hmm. That they understand the rules, and so they create a story that follows the Eldros rules as far as the magic system and how the world works, and that they can actually put a story together, a cohesive story. A readable one. So for, for the people listening to the podcast for Writers of the Future, it is a perfect sounding board to submit a story to Writers of the Future that's not necessarily Eldros, because that's our stuff, but you can do a fantasy novel or a fantasy short story and run it through Writers of the Future, and should you get honorable mention or better, or even win, that's a perfect thing that we could retool your story for the Eldros legacy. <laughs> Oh That's my good. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So um, now, have any of you read any of Mr. Hubbard's works? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, Battlefield Earth certainly. I I did the uh, the deckology. Yeah, Mission um, Earth. Mission Earth. Yeah, I read yeah. that. That was a very long time ago, and I've I read a number of the um, the anthology, not anthologies. I guess no, they are anthologies. Yeah. The a number of those. Is the writers of future books. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, he, he wrote a lot of fantasy because I was just curious because when um, Campbell had his that short span of of his fantasy magazine, he said he reserved. He said, I'm reserving all the Arabian Nights for you. And he's he wrote several um, stories and novels in that whole thing with, with genies and Jen and and the parallel universes, parallel worlds in, um, that he wrote. And so there's a lot of fantasy that he did do. But the thing that, you know, during that golden age, uh, which would, it wasn't that at the time. At that time, it was just a lot of creatives that were just going, you know, full tilt on new stuff it was just after world war one after the depression and people needed some good escapist literature that they could just chill for a bit half of them were out of work and the other half were afraid of if that was going to happen to them too so with that like you said you know that that was that time period which later became known as the golden age but this is you know there's a lot of that freshness to the storytelling back then, the, the pulp fiction that was written then, not just from Mr. Hubbard, but also from, you know, Heinlein and and others. There's that freshness to it. And I definitely, on, at least on the one book that I've read of yours there, The um, Embers and Ash, there's that fresh, because I like the fresh storytelling. You know, there's, there's a lot of dystopia out there and it's, maybe it's really easy to, to sell that concept too because of just how dystopian the world comes across, you know, so it gives you a, a way that maybe we can survive a, dyspo- a dystopian world. But you don't, yours is, you know, because it's the fantasy, then you can take it totally out of the the reality of what we have here and, and create a world out there, which there's definitely parallels, which, you know, you could see and mm-hmm. especially in the personalities. So mm-hmm. how do you take your storytelling is there any type of bridging that you do to like parallels you've got to the real world with, with what you're doing, or is it just strictly in your own fantasy? So you're raised, you're shaking your head. Yeah. Yes, Marie. Um, so when I got the concept to write embers and ash, um, I wanted to do some, some, um, swapping of generals, you know, there's a, a, there we have Kings and Queens and, and the whole court situation. Um, I wanted to create a world where things were kind of flip-flopped, you know, from what what we've dealt with, you know, up until now with with our society, our western society with like, you know, kings being who they are and then and and princesses being married off and stuff like that and I thought and it would just be kind of funny to write, you know, something if it was if it was flip-flopped. And so my cohort um Courtney Farrell, CA Farrell, who wrote Dark and Secret Paths, she has taken a prince from my um, from my country, and she's writing his story. And you know, there's there's this one beautiful line that you know he he's just sort of a prince of nothing, you know. So that's that's one of the parallels that I was I was trying to to bring in. Um, but it really grew from there. So right. yeah, that's one of the ideas I I had when I wanted to just sort of weave it through that story. Good. Does anybody else have any parallels from your own storytelling to... For sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I was thinking 
a great deal about thematic wise when I was coming up with Kaivin the Unkillable is the, the notion of, of power and self-indulgence versus family and self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, in our society, we're so opulent at this point uh, that like we expect things, we feel entitled to things that would have been on the verge of magic a hundred years ago, you know, mm-hmm. and yet we take them for granted every single day, like driving cars, like working on cell phones. I mean, like even 30 years ago, cell phones would have been magic, right? Absolutely. And so <clears throat> there's this, I think, uh, kind of a, a battle being waged for the American soul at this point about how much do we indulge and how much do we give back, right? And so the main character in Kaivin is very much this this person who you can totally understand why he would want to protect himself and why he would want to get you know take care of number one like he's had so many traumas at this point and his whole perspective on life is I need to protect myself I need to get the stuff that I need in order to survive and families never stick with you they leave or they die or whatever that's his situation where he starts and the arc of the story is him and his found family. And I think the concept of found family is a pretty popular concept right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of stepping into that and him having to go through this transformation of opening up his perspective and his heart to the notion of having another family, like taking that risk, being vulnerable, and then clicking into the idea of when you fight for somebody other than yourself, you become twice as powerful. That's sort of the the theme. But I was very much thinking about things that I was seeing in our modern day when I crafted that character. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. You talk about, I had a guest recently, Douglas, Douglas Richards. He says, it's interesting how people think that things are worse. They're, they're more um, despondent about life right now and he said right now we're in better than any time in history you know in terms of there's there's less war there's less famine you know all these different things that used to happen so much that it's just it's the less right now but because of the news media and because of the way things get portrayed people th- you know the like is it better now than it was 50 years ago I said, oh no it was way better 50 years ago right not true yeah. definitely not true yeah so I think it's for myself, I really enjoy storytelling, which has an uplift at the end of it. That's mm-hmm. going to show you like, oh, no, things can get better. You know, you can, again, all I've read is Embers and Ash and um, your new queen, you know, she's, I mean, I, I, I adore her. She's, oh, good. she's an amazing, <laughs> amazing person, what she had to go through. And a couple of different times, it was almost, sometimes it was like, is this Perils of Pauline? You know, because she kept on going, and all of a sudden, oh no! And he gets uh-huh. going again, oh no! Yeah. You know, but um, she was resolute enough, and you know, I like stories with that personal integrity is a, is a key factor. That to me is important. And there's, it gets so heavily um, dissed, you know, or invalidated, or or not given credit the, the importance of like sticking to your guns and stuff. And that's one thing I really got from her. Where I really liked her. So. I'm going to use this now to bridge over to, because we've not talked about the actual story. Yep. So, because um, hopefully we're going to, as a result of this, and 
you know, listening to this podcast, you're going to go, I've got to listen to this or I've got to read this oh, yeah. uh, storyline. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking anybody's going to disagree with that. So tell me about this. You've, <laughs> You've got, got this. Okay. Can, I okay. Say, can I pitch it? Yeah, pitch it? go for it, Todd. So I go to a lot of Comic-Cons and I, I uh, hone my pitches. So this is my pitch for Eldros Legacy. Okay. 2,000 years ago, the world was ruled by these 15-foot-tall, highly magical, highly intelligent giants. Okay? Mm-hmm. The rest of the races, the Arachlans, the Luminants, the Dwarves, the Delvers, the, the humans, the Shadowvar, they were all slaves to this one master race of giants, okay? And then there was a revolution. We overthrew our overlords, and during the war, half the giants were killed. The other half fled and vanished. Now... It's 2,000 years later. And humans, we're notorious for having a very short memory span, right? So we don't actually think the giants ever existed. We don't believe that they were ever really real. We, they, those characters in the story think of them like you and I would think of Apollo or Zeus, right? It's like we know their names, but I don't think they ever actually existed, right? Right. But the giants have not forgotten and they want their world back. And in the shadows, they have been building an army that when they're ready to unleash it, it will be impossible for us to stop them. The fifth continent. Unless. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> Unless, of course, we have a group of heroes that can do the impossible. That's the beginning of Eldros' legacy. And, of course, there are four groups of heroes in this particular case that will then meld into a gestalt at the end that will be able to, we hope, overcome the giants. If they don't, I'm going to take this podcast <laughs> off the line whenever, whenever it comes out. We're not making any promise. <laughs> so um, let's just run down the line here. So uh, with Marie, Embers and Ash. So just give me a brief description of it. Why should somebody read that book? Um, this book is about um, rising above what you were dealt in the beginning. We have a young queen who knew she was going to grow up to rule a cursed land that was um, being controlled by a demon, and she knew there was no way out, but she had dreamed, you know, of of having a different life. And so it's it's about someone empowering themselves and finding a way, and maybe having you know to to commit some some murder here and there on the way, but um, finding a way out. It's it's like you said she had she had a roller coaster to deal with mm-hmm. up and down and you know she thought she was there and then she wasn't and it just she had like two really dark nights of her soul in her in her story arc so um, in the end she did get that uplift yeah you know and then there was kind of a dun 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 moment um, because there's book two coming so so yeah that's if you like that kind of thing and 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 strong you know, female characters that have a big resolute, you know, attitude, then I think, I think Embers and Ashes for you. Absolutely. (laughs) And then um, Quincy on Seeds of Dominion. So uh, mine is part of what the series is, the legacy of deceit. Um, The main character is, he was, he was going to be king. Uh, His father died. He was the elder brother. There's a younger brother. Um, but Relin, the main character, um, chose to be a guardian instead. The king has 13 guardians who go about the land, and basically they're, think of them like double O spies. They're troubleshooters, and that's what they do. Relin didn't want to be king, so he abdicate, abdicated that responsibility to serve in a different way, but he was then reviled for it by most of the people. Um, Seeds of Dominion is about him getting sucked into 
what he thinks is initially a murder mystery, but turns out to be the first move in one of the less powerful giants trying to take over and literally destroy his kingdom, Pelennon. And over the course of this series, then the next few books, Pelennon may get destroyed. It's up to Rowan to try and stop it. And then there's the aftermath because his younger brother now holds the reins and has to deal with everything that's going on. And through this whole, uh, through the whole theme, there's this notion of deceit that has been going on not only by the kings, but by the, their opponents. And they're both going to discover that deceit has always been pretty much their enemy. And it's through exposing these lies that they actually will find their greatest power. Awesome. Okay, so Todd, you got two books in front of you, so. Yeah, we'll do Kaivin the Unkillable. That's the first okay. um, in my storyline. So essentially, Kaivin the Unkillable is so named with this over-the-top moniker because he is a gladiator on a hot streak, okay? He <laughs> has won 48 bouts in a row in the Deadly Night Ring, which is essentially this world's version of the Colosseum, okay? Um, and most people do not survive one bout. So at a certain point, they're just like, oh my gosh, he's unkillable, right? So the king has now made a decree that if Kaivin can win 50 bouts, he will be elevated from slave gladiator to knight. He'll get the lands, he'll get the entourage, he'll get the money, he'll get all the things, right? He wins bout 49, at which point the king invites him to dinner and then pulls the rug out from underneath him and says, we're not going to do about a normal bout for your 50th. I got something special for you. Somewhere in the nearby forest, there is this rebel who styles herself the queen in exile. And I want to crush her, but I can't find her. She is doing something and I don't know what it is. But what I do know is that one of her recruiters is in the night ring cells right now. And he wants to recruit you, Kaivin. And I want you to let him. And then I want you to go with him and I want you to find where her secret hideout is. Then you come back here and you tell me where it is and I'm going to smash them once and for all. And Kaivin is like, ah, oh, well, this is how I get my knighthood. You got it, boss. I'm your man. So he goes with the recruiter. He goes to the secret hideout and there he meets the queen in exile. And now he's got a problem because she's awesome. She is everything in a ruler that that dude back in the castle is not. So Kaivin now has a choice. He can go back, betray her, get everything he's ever wanted, or he can join a lost cause. That's all I'll say about Kaiva. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a fantastic story. It really is. Yeah. Todd, Todd let us off. He was the, the first book released. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a gripping ride. I mean, I, I loved reading his, his story. And then it progresses into Laurel of the Dark and then his book that just released you know, Ren the Traveler. I mean, Todd is a, a master of his... Was that one of the ones that you sent to me? I sent you Kaivin the, the Unkillable. Yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. All right, just checking. Okay, you so... You totally read it. You totally <laughs> read it. It's good stuff. I think you will enjoy it. Yeah. Good. Okay, Mark. So my book is The Forgotten King. And uh, you were talking about, you know, parables. You know, I've, I've always been enchanted with the notion of uh, the, the Clausewitz phrase of those who fail to study history and learn from it, are doomed to repeat it. Uh, the main character of The Forgotten King is Aura Earl. A thousand years ago, he's the sole survivor of a uh, demon horde <laughs> vilely sent from Daemonon. <laughs> Quincy's continent. In the process of killing the demon, Aura was imbued with everlasting life. That was a mistake. <laughs> As a result... 
He is the, the king that can't die. On, Dra- on Draconon, uh, the high king is elected by all of the kings. And so they elected him. 200 years into his reign, because he can't die, his daughter is murdered. And so his will to rule is gone. So he abdicates, and he locks himself into a tower. 800 years of research and toiling and being the forgotten king and locked in the tower, he decides he wants to get back out into the world and fakes his own death and joins a D&D party. Seriously? Seriously joins a party. Okay. An adventuring band. While he's out adventuring, his descendant, the, the last remaining high king of his line, is assassinated shattering a thousand years of peace. And so he is on the quest to figure out who murdered the high king and started an invasion of Draconon. Wow, that's intense. Wow. Like I said, it's, it, this is one of those times, like I've had to read so many books preparing for this conference, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so I was able to get through one of them to get into the storyline. So... I mean, it's, it's all, I'm amazed with these things here, and I'm fortunate I came up to Rise of the Future, so I'll be able to do a bunch of interviews on winners. I've already read all their stories, so I can then do more of these things, which I, I wish I could have read them beforehand, but... It's um, a lot. Yeah. It is. And it gives you something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> and I very much appreciate that that gift. So on on your... Um, you said you've got a, your basic Bible, Yes, yes, the World Bible. Mm-hmm. The World Bible. So what are some of the parameters of that, and how was that created? So this gets back now, somebody wanted to, to do a similar type thing or how, how it's going to work to keep the greatest peace within the the environment. How do you create that? Yeah. Well, so there was uh, – so in creating the Bible, uh, we inherited some of it from Rob. But right. And the five of us – and it's kind of like our constitution, right? Yeah. Um, it defines the the rules. The magic system was paramount. In how magic works, there's basically five, 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 five we'll call them streams of magic. Um, there's love, lore, line, which is like written spells, um, land magic, life, and life magic. So like healers and pain and so forth. So we had to define how that worked. And that, that's been, that was one of the most important things is getting that so the cohorts and even ourselves could follow those rules without breaking the game so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't want stuff that was too powerful, not not powerful enough. But also in the Bible, we have the continents defined, the political setup up to a point, and the races. The races was another big piece um, in which which continents have which races, what do they look like, how do they act, what's their culture like. There's pieces of that which we're always building on. That's the other thing. It, it is, it's a never-ending process. Um, I mean, I started off with seven races, and I actually haven't fully defined four of them. Mm. Um, but you get enough, and then the intent is, in some cases, to have the cohorts start to define races for you. So I, I have a good example of that. Jamie Ibsen, he's one of my cohorts. Um, in the north of my my land, there's the they're called the Sukarima. They're coyote, coyote dog soldiers. And I had this idea of they look like coyotes, but were coyotes, upright. Um, they have spells. They have culture. And I said, Jamie, what do you think of that? And he actually just ran with it. Um, he's very interested in indigenous peoples in Canada. And so he has this, he's built this entire culture on that. And those rules then get put into 
the Bible as well. So this ongoing effort of as we define stuff, it gets added. I get it. Now, quite often, or at least frequently, authors will use people they know or, you know, to that they'll write in there, either the good, the bad, the ugly. They do the whole spectrum. Have you done that yourselves with... Yeah, go ahead, Mark. So um, I, I have kind of a, a touching story around that. Um, uh, one of the, the members of Superstars, um, her son, uh, because of the pandemic and, and school and everything, ha- became uh, manic depressive and suicidal. And so I knew that uh, she played D&D with him, his brother, and their friends, uh, leading an adventure with that. And so one of the things that, that we do frequently as a carryover from the Four Horsemen universe is we, we write people into stories. Mm-hmm. Initially, we write them in to kill them off or to just do it as a drive-by, like, hi, John Goodwin, you know, kind of a thing. As you're, you know, And that was my intent. And so I'm, I'm, I'm chatting with, with this person, and she's, she's chatting with her son at the same time. And the whole idea is I wanted to try to provide a, a point of inspiration. Hey, you know, you know, something for him to look forward to. I'm going to write his D&D character into my novel, maybe as a, a passing thing in a bar or whatever it might be. So I was like, so, so tell me about your character. And so, so they're, they're describing this character, and, and he's, he's a um, dragonborn. I'm like, oh, that's very interesting, on the continent of dragons. And then I'm like, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. What, what, what class is he? Oh, he's a paladin. I'm like, ooh, very interesting. So he's a paladin. He's dragonborn. Okay, now tell me more. Tell me more. And so do you want him to be a good guy or a bad guy? Oh, he wants to be a good guy. Okay, do you want him to want him to live or die? And he's like, you know, because of what's going on, he says, I want him to die. I want him to die a noble death. And I'm like, okay, okay, I think I can work with this. And then his brother is also in D&D. And I was like, okay, so so tell me about, about the, the brother's character. What's the brother's character? Oh, is he human? He's a ranger. And I'm like, oh, I like this. Okay. And then he's like, uh, the brother's like, I want to kill the other guy. And I'm like, what? Okay, so one brother wants to kill, the, one brother's character wants to kill the other brother's character. So I was like, okay, let me let me think about this. So I think I, I think I have something. So then I wrote an epilogue. I just sat down and just, just pounded it out, as writers do. And so I crafted something where the main characters, as the epilogue, are off at a mountain cabin. It's a storm raging outside. The door uh, is pushed open. And there is a draconian, dragonborn there, armor and everything, that calls for aura. I have a message from the pentad. And then he gets stabbed in the back (laughs) and falls down. And there standing in the doorway is a human ranger with glowing green eyes holding the bloody dagger. And then aura recognizes this, this, this person as a friend from 800 years ago. How could this possibly be? Lightning flashes and the figure's gone into the storm. And so that's the epilogue. And so I didn't kill the character. And so that, that became the, the, the genesis of book two is that Aura has to get this young dragonborn to, back to his people for, to be healed and then participate in Aura understanding that culture and, and uh, a secret society, the Knights of Draconon to then go through the trials and then fight a, a, a noble fight. So he will he will die in book two, I promised. <laughs> but he will die a noble death after having served a noble purpose. So, cool. so in this instance, I wanted to give the young man something to look forward to. I've offered to have some collaborative 
you know, discussions as I'm plotting through with him so that way he can directly contribute, you know, Mm -hmm. provide input. He's not going to do the story for me, obviously. But, you know, the whole idea is I I wanted to, something that took about half an hour of my life has had a positive, profound impact on his. That's awesome. And so, so yeah. That's good. Yeah. Has anybody else included... um, Good, bad, or ugly in your in your stories that were inspiration. Mine are mostly like archetypes, or that you know they fit the purpose. There's nobody directly in mine. Yeah. Okay. Just curious about that. So on on your stories, we've, we're down to the last uh, about five minutes here. So um, you've, you're all obviously established writers before getting together on this. <clears throat> so one of the things I always like to ask writers is any points where you were ready to throw in the towel, and then you decided, okay, <laughs> persist, and maybe either it was because of the people, your your tribe, you know, that type of concept or something. So starting with, with you, Marie, like anytime where you're ready to say, okay, that's it, this isn't for me, I, I just can't do it, and then you made it out of it? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there's – collaboration can be pretty difficult even when you're all writing within the same genre. And just because, you know, like my style, I'm, I'm a horror writer from the beginning. And so any epic fantasy that I write tends to be on the dark side and have a lot of, you know, gothic themes to it. Well, we don't always agree on how we want those things to come out in the stories or whether they should be there at all. So, you know, there's, there's, there can be um, some tension. <laughs> there can be a little bit of tension here and there. Um, not so much lately, but like in the beginning when we were developing like serious plot and, you know, things like that just to get started with all of our first books. Um, you know, we I think that probably all of us had had these moments early on. So, yeah, we've worked through it, you know. Um, so how did you work through that? Talking it out, definitely talking it out. There has never been a time when one of us walked out of one of our meetings or clicked off, you know, of one of our meetings or anything like that. We talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're you know we're pretty good at adulting in that in in that way. But um, there have been some times when you know talking it out have it's been hard. You know, yeah. not all the meetings have been really really fun because Eldris is also a business. We're an LLC and we have to. We have to talk about things like that as well, and we're creatives, and we don't want to. So some of us don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so there's that. Yeah, there's definitely been times. Okay, Quincy. Well, I, I ultimately I think because that's natural in any group that's doing creative in business. I think the solution, and this is what I would pass on to anybody undertaking something like this, is if once you realize that if there's discussion debate you know, the conflict, look for ways to say yes, right? Find ways. If somebody has an idea, if it doesn't quite work, everybody get together and look for ways to say yes. That when we figured that out, it was kind of a game changer, right? It really did make a huge difference. And I think it's a mindset that, and I I mean, they'll tell you public or private, I have a tendency, tendency to dig my heels in. (laughs) Um, it it happens but when we looked at it from that perspective it made it a very easy conversation 
right? It's how can we make this work? Mm -hmm. Because we, what we realize is we don't want to stifle anybody's creativity. We just need to make sure that we protect the integrity and the plausibility of the world and the premise. So when you merge those two together, it, it really works well. Good, good. Todd? Yeah, well, I think one of the key things of being a successful creative is being able to not only pivot if something you don't expect comes up, but to utilize it in the best fashion. I mean, you've probably heard before that one of the best things a writer can do is write themselves into a corner, right? Because then you have to freaking figure out how to get out of the corner, right? And that can come up with some of the most amazing ideas. Well, the same thing applies to collaborations. And what Quincy is saying is exactly what I would have said. Say yes. You may not know how to get from the edge of this chasm across or the edge of this cliff to the, across the chasm to the other side but there's a way i mean we're the masters of the world of course there's a way and there's magic we can figure something out right mm -hmm. and so once we get to that point then you don't really have to say no to anything you just have to uh, you know put your thinking cap on and figure out how not to break the rules that are going to destroy the structure that we've built. And there are a hundred ways around the fence post for that. So like Quincy said, once we kind of like eased off on the fear of, I'm not going to get what I want, you know, to, yes, of course you can get what you want. You just may need to change a little bit here and change a little bit there. And somebody else may, may need to change a little bit. And the things that arise out of that ended up being some of the best plot points of the whole story so far. Yeah. Right? So, that's, it's kind of turning the facet of your perspective. You're seeing it through one lens and then all of a sudden if you can just shift that facet one, instead of it being uh, a detriment, it becomes a benefit. And we discovered how to do that. That's awesome. And Mark? So I, I think, you know, with any group, you got to presume positive intent. I mean, that is, that is the thing. We're all here to have fun. We're all here to create interesting stories and we're all here to help each other. And so uh, doing a collaboration is no different than a group of the five of us, including you, John. If we were to decide where are we going to go to dinner tonight, I mean, it's exactly like that. We all have our desires for what we want. We all have the things we absolutely don't want. And we're going to meet in the middle. And somewhere we're going to find a restaurant that has a menu that has everything we want on it. Not necessarily our ideal meal, but like what Todd was saying, you, you find something new, you're going to... You know, the, you have that an, antithesis here. You know, he and I get into an argument about how something might work. And then all of a sudden, lightning strikes. And he and I came up with the most amazing concept. And now we're having to to weave that into the next three books. I mean, it's just it, that part of it is, is amazing. Yes, we can be frustrating with each other. But the ultimate is presuming that positive intent. Yeah. We want the best possible outcome. And by working together, I feel we create stronger stories. That's great. Well, I knew this would happen. <laughs> Our hour is coming on. So before I end off here, I would like you to each please give me like how somebody can find you, you know, on your website. So starting with you, Marie. Um, you can find me at mariewhitaker.com or eldresslegacy.com or lolahopscotch.com on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of those. Um Usually, I'm just like at Marie Whitaker on, on all the social media. Okay, great. And yourself, Quincy? Same thing pretty much, although it's QuincyAllen.com, um, EldrosLegacy.com. Um, on Amazon, if you do Quincy, Allen, Quincy J. Allen on Amazon, you'll see pretty much everything I've written. There's a ton of short stories, nine novels and growing, um, and a few other projects. Awesome. Uh, I also work with Mark Allen Adelheid, so you can find me there too. Okay, great. And Todd? 
ToddFonestock.com, EldrosLegacy.com, uh, on Facebook, Todd Fonestock Fantasy Author, as well as my group is Edge of Your Seat, Epic Fantasy, and then also on Instagram as Todd Fonestock. Great. And can you spell Todd Fonestock, please? Absolutely. So two Ds, T-O-D-D, and then my last name is F-A-H, F is in Frank, A-H, N is in Nancy, E-S is in Sam, T is in Todd, O-C-K, and then, you know, all the rest that goes along with that. Great. Thank you. And Mark? So for the podcast world, if you've noticed a pattern, everybody has first name, last name, dot com. <laughs> so I am markstallings.com, though I break the mold in that on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Mad Coffee Mark. Whoa. <laughs> yes. You we rebel. also have a Eldros Legacy fan group up on Facebook yeah. that we love posting to, and we'd love for you to join us. Please, please. <laughs> Great. Well, this has been an amazing uh, hour. and. I really hope that people just really jump into this series because I, I love the first book, and hopefully now we've given it enough interest and enough um, mystery sandwich on this thing that they go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? <laughs> and each one of your continents. And then eventually we'll find out about the fifth continent. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard, to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Marie, Mark, Todd, and Quincy. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs>